me ask you a, uh, a few questions. Have you ever lost God? Not has he been lost, he doesn't get lost, but have you ever lost him? Have you ever lost his presence? You see, trouble and pain have a way of isolating people and make people alone and lonely. Maybe you drifted away. Maybe you've never been close to God. Maybe you don't even know him. Maybe it's a distant memory. It's like years, yeah, I can remember years ago, like it's probably a couple of decades now, 20 years ago, I remember there was a time I was close with God. Maybe you've never had it. See, what I'm talking about with uh, the presence of God is, it's not that God's not here. God's everywhere, right? God's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. What I'm talking about is the sense within us that we're with him and he's with us. You know, there's a sense in which we can be with God but not with him at the same time. Isn't that true? We can be in his presence but not be in his presence. And that's what the psalm is about that we're looking at today. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab your Bible um, we're going to go to Psalm 42. Uh, Psalm 42 is about uh, a man, uh, a group of men written by the sons of Korah, who basically, like, there's lots of bad stuff happening. And I don't know, has this ever happened for you? It's like, lots of bad things are happening in my life, but now I can't find God, and that's like the mortal blow. <laughs> like, I might be able to handle all this other stuff, if I had God, but I can't find him. I don't know where he is. I'm not connected to him. And now it's like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fold like an old suit at the smallest thing that comes my way. You with me? So little things happen. You just go, I can't handle that anymore. But if I had him, I'd be able to handle everything. That's how I feel, but I just can't get to him. That's what Psalm 42 is about. So uh, if you've got it open there, that'll be a real help for you. Now, let's start at verse 1. As... A deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now I want to stop right there, okay? Has, has anyone ever noticed this, that sometimes praise and worship songs can be really helpful, but then other times they're not really helpful at all? Like some, or is it just me? Like sometimes you, they've wrecked Bible verses for you. And you read the Bible verse and you hear this cheesy song in your head and you just go, well, it's just wrecked it. I can never read that thing again. Well, this is one of those, I reckon, that gets a little bit wrecked. All right? So I'm going to play you the classic song. Everyone know what I'm talking about? So anyone want to get up and sing it? Just a cappella. You know the one I'm talking about? And I'm going to let it run for a bit because I want you to just feel the love. Here we go. Sing along if you want. Anyone want mercy? 
So you came to church today and there's a whole bunch of you going, I panted and that's why I'm coming to church. Really? That wasn't a Holy Spirit word or anything. Here's the thing. Like when you listen to that song, here's my beef, right? Look at Psalm 42, the first two verses that we've read. Does it look like that kind of first to you? Like it looks rugged, right? Like you look at Psalm 42 and it's just like, that is not a pretty thing. What's going on there? Like you get the sense of a deer that's stuck somewhere and it's absolutely parched. And it's like, if I don't get some water right now, I'm going to die. And the water to the psalmist is God's presence. And he's going, I am going to die without his presence. So one thing you need to get into your head, I preached on this a little while ago, is that thirst in the Bible is not a good thing. Thirst in the Bible is an indicator that you're disconnected from God. Anyone connected to God has springs of living water flowing out of them, right? That's what Jesus said. But when you're disconnected from God, you thirst, and thirst is actually a curse. All right? You've got to kind of get that into your head. If you want to dip in a little bit more, you could go to Jeremiah 17. It talks quite a bit. It talks about how uh, you, those who trust in, in man and trust in themselves are like a, a stuck they're like a shrub in the parched wilderness. You know, thirst is a result of disconnection from God. And, and he's, he's thirsting, he's, he's, he's kind of lost God. So this whole notion that we need to have a thirst for Jesus, as though it's some kind of virtue, I would submit to you, let's not have a thirst for Jesus. Let's have a dependency upon Christ. Let's go after Jesus and let's have him, just let's be really connected with him. You know, it's, it says, uh, Jesus said that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be satisfied so if you hunger and you thirst go to christ stick with him and you'll be satisfied continuously is it, does that sound like a good plan that's what, that's what i reckon that we're uh, we're actually uh, gunning for all right have a look back at psalm 42 check this out this is a this is a sad tale right you get to verse well let's just go back to two have a look at verse two there my soul thirsts for god notice how it gets more intimate as this verse goes on my soul thirsts for god for the living god when shall I come and appear before, before God? Now, an alternative translation for that is, when can I come and appear before God's face? You see that? Look, it's just got that personal kind of vibe to it. It's like he starts off a bit impersonal. God, living God, I just need to see him. I just need to see his face. And then verse 3 there, what water does he get to drink? Well, his own tears, doesn't he? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God, all he gets to drink is his tears. Now, I hope you just, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but I hope you just get the point at, at this point in time is that losing God's presence is a killer. It's an absolute killer, right? And the truth is not everyone here this morning believes that, all right? Now, you sit there and you go, intellectually, I believe it, right? Do you believe it the way that the psalmist here believes it? And I'm not having a go at you, I'm just encouraging you. That He's speaking reality about life. It's like if you don't get the presence of God, if God doesn't engage with you and, enact, and uh, interact with your world and you interact with him, he's going to die. And you know what else is happening here? We can see it at the end of verse 3 there. If you have a look again, people are coming in and they're mocking him, making fun of him. They say to me all the day long, where is your God? Go across to verse 10. Same thing. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Have you ever been in the middle of a situation that's difficult, there's a struggle, there's pain, there's trouble, 
and other people get on board and what they do is they just make it worse. You ever had one of those? They just kind of get on board. It's like, this is bad enough, all right? Not only did I have this whole list of troubles over here, now I've lost God and now I've got these other people getting on board and pointing it out and saying God's not even with you. Do you see that? That's, that's really, really tough. And this is a, the thing sometimes, I think, with, uh, with, with people who criticise and, and uh, who kind of condemn it's like, or, or make fun of you. It's like what they say sticks to something inside of you that's kind of true and that's what makes it so difficult. You know, you could be a teenager and someone says you're a loser. Now, you can remember the last time that you failed in front of your friends. You can remember the last time that you blew it. And there's something inside of you that suspects maybe I am a loser. And when someone says you're a loser, they kind of plug together and it becomes difficult. You with me? And that's a bit of what's going on here. It's like all of a sudden he's, he's got this experience going on and the critics are coming in and they're plugging into that and it's really, really powerful for him. I'm, I mean, I think this is part of the reason why um, the way that atheists argue a lot of the time actually, against Christians actually works. So what atheists often do, just as a bit of a side note, is they use a, a, an argument fallacy called an ad hominem where you take the person instead of the argument they're putting forward. All right? So here's, here's the bottom line. What they'll do most of the time, and Richard Dawkins is a classic at it, is they'll just say that if you're a Christian, you're stupid, basically. You're a fool. Now, there's probably even a little bit inside of us sometimes where we just go, well, we're giving our whole lives over to this thing that we can't see. This feels a little bit silly. And so atheists kind of come in and they just go, that is really dumb what you're doing. <laughs> and do you see what actually happens is the two things kind of plug together and it can actually be a really, really powerful thing. And that's what's happening for the, the psalmist here is that people are coming alongside and they're plugging into that. And what I just pause at this moment, I want you to think, who else do you know of in the scriptures that had this happen to them? Well, I want to suggest to you that it actually happened to Jesus. Jesus got stuck in that pincer grip between his own experience and what other people were saying to him. Listen to this in Matthew 20. 7 verse 46 Jesus on the cross dying for you because of his love for you took on your sin and cried out my God my God why have you forsaken me and then I wonder if uh, if you got your Bibles there let's go across to Matthew 27 I want to read a, a section there just go across to Matthew 27 feel free to go up and grab a Bible if you need one and if you don't own a Bible you can take that home with you that's a gift to you Matthew 27 from verse 39 so it's just a few verses before that and those who passed by derided jesus wagging their heads and saying you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days save yourself if you are the son of god come down from the cross so also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying he saved others he cannot save himself he is the king of israel let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him listen to this this is uh Matthew 27, verse 43. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. You see that? Jesus is having this experience of aloneness and kind of being forsaken by God. And what's happening? The enemies are coming in and they're just making it worse. All right? They're just going, see, look at you. You've, you've been deserted. You're on your own. It's like, oh, that's tough, right? Is anyone with me on that? 
Oh, that's, that's really tough to have people get on board and kind of plug into something and experience that's already going on in, inside of you. And I want to suggest that maybe today you're in a, in a difficult spot. Maybe today, you've, maybe it's been a tough week. Maybe it's been a tough year, maybe a tough decade. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's really painful for you today. Maybe instead of lamenting to God, like the psalmist does here about how difficult things are and, and made more difficult by opponents, maybe you don't even talk to God about it because you feel like God's jilted you. See, at least the psalmist is talking about it to God, isn't he? saying he's got a real problem. You see, I could ask you this question, which is not a theologically correct question, but I think it's quite an accurate question that fits and maps on the human experience. Have, have you ever felt like you've needed to forgive God? Have you ever felt like you've needed to forgive God? Do you know what that is? That's like... My life didn't go the way it was meant to go. And God, you didn't make it go the way it was meant to, to go and you've done me an injustice. And I'm, I'm not happy with you about it and we're not talking. Of course, God never does any wrong, but <laughs> there's no actual case where we would ever need to have to forgive God, but you can kind of feel that. I remember... Um, just this week, I was on a Skype call with Ed Welsh, and he just he made the comment. He just said, uh, "All anger, all unrighteous anger, is anger against God for someone's story not going the way that they want they want it to go." And that's really weird, right? Because here's the thing: if if you're in that category and you're not talking to God about it, and you're a closed kind of circuit over here, you're over here, and it's just like uh, I'm really unhappy, and I feel a bit jilted with God, and I feel just upset with him i'm a bit angry with him and so i'm over here but then you actually know in your head if you're a christian you, you should know in your head that the bible's kind of going you've got to trust in god you've got to hope in god and you've got to connect with god and it's like if this thing over here stays a closed loop inside of you and you don't actually speak it out to god like the psalmist does it's almost going to be impossible for you to do this does that make sense is it you guys like a paddock of cows right now just looking at me is everyone okay with that? that that's what it is. Right? You, you, need to, you need to talk to him about it. All right? It's like if you think someone's unrighteous, if you think God's unrighteous because of how he's handled you, good luck trying to trust him. All right? So what you need to do is you need to do what the psalmist do and you need to pour out your lament to him. All right? And you need to start talking to him and addressing him. That's why a third of the psalms are laments. To help you have the language to speak to him now that's the situation the psalmist is in right well what does he actually do about it let's go back over to psalm uh, 42 now i've got good news for you he actually does something about it he here knows someone who gets in trouble and then just keeps getting in trouble because they won't change anything that they're doing does anyone know anyone like that you do right because that's that's kind of it's a, unfortunately a bit of a human thing right don't change what you've always done and you won't get a different outcome that's how it works we're, um, let's go to verse 4 in Psalm 42 in front of you there. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. All right, here's, 
here's a strategy for you when you're feeling despondent and spiritually and maybe even physically depressed. It's like, let's remember, all right? I don't know whether you know this, but do you know this experientially? Like, you can get in really difficult times. They can come upon you and it's like the presence of God and just your memory can just go, and it's gone. Have you ever noticed that? Is it? Righto, here's, here's another question. You actually have to put your hand up this time. All right, if this is you. Well, I'm inviting you to anyway. Who here has ever got in the midst of pain and trouble and at least for a moment or two, in the middle of that, has thought, I cannot think of one time when God has ever helped me? Who's that? I have. All right? It just got, it's like it evaporates, right? It's like, and you're just going, no, he's never helped me. All right? Now, you don't say that, right? Because especially if you've been a Christian long enough, because you go, ah, see, my, my brothers and sisters in the church, you know, they, they'll theolo- theologically correct me, you know. And in your head, you're just kind of going, no, I know the scriptures. He helps all the time. So I've been in that moment experientially, can't think of anything. I'm on my own here, all right? If I don't fend for myself, it's not going to roll. And what does he do? He actually thinks about, going back to verse 4 there, he thinks about community. He thinks about being part of the community of faith, pursuing God. How I'd go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And then go down to verse 6 there. The, the, The remembering thing comes again. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon from Mount Mizar. Now, Remember, remember, remember. I remember as a, uh, as a younger guy, just to slip that in, as a younger guy, uh, I, uh, I heard a preacher say that we have very poor spiritual memories. And you know what? I think he was absolutely right. I think we just forget things really quickly. All right? What's he doing here? I mean, have a look at verse 6 there. What is he doing here? It's almost like, I mean, he's not, but I, I envisage him standing on the top of a hill and looking out across the land and just picking out different features in the land and just going... Oh, that's right. I remember when God was with me over here and, and we did this kind of stuff together. And then, Yeah, when I was down in that city or in that town. Yeah, like I was, yeah, God was with me there. And then there was another time that over here and God was with me over here. And I wonder this morning, where do you remember the presence of God being with you? Where do you remember the presence of God being with you? I'm sure he's moved in your life. Maybe some of you just going, oh, that's a tricky one. Maybe you're in that place where you can't remember being aware of God being with you and knowing that he was with you. And then if you go back to uh, Psalm 42 there, look at, look at verse 7. He's trying to remember and then it's almost like his memory betrays him. All right? Guess to verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Have you ever had that experience where you're sitting and maybe you're just trying to remember something, you're just trying to steady yourself and then all of a sudden your, your mind, it's almost like a little bit of ADD kicks in and then all of a sudden you're back onto the thing that's getting on top of you. You know what I'm talking about? It's just like trying to just remember this, trying to get a bit of, bit of wind in my sails and then all of a sudden we're back to that thing again and and the thing that's meant to help actually ends up hurting me the most i mean you look there in verse seven that's water right that's what the guy wants he wants water but the water's coming over him and it's taking him out the thing that's meant to save him is actually 
taking him out. It's not waters of help, but waters of trouble. And I wonder, just as a little side note, I wonder whether there's been some things in your life that were meant to be of assistance to you and of help to you that have actually hurt you. And when you remember back, you get distracted off onto that. When you're trying to organise some kind of space where you can kind of get some wind in the sails or maybe some help, all of a sudden you, you spin off thinking about that. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, one example, I think, is abuse in the church. People being hurt by the church. You see, the church is actually meant to be the place where people come for help. But for some people, they've either been hurt or abused by the church. And when they think about the church, it creates more pain for them. It doesn't, it, it's, it's not water that sustains. It's water that crashes over the top of them. I remember uh, in my 20s, just that a long period of just questioning of my faith, working through the existence of God. And the thing that kind of always seemed to, to trip me up was when I'd get to a Bible passage that I couldn't work out or it didn't make sense to me, it just kind of tripped me up and just sent me into a bit of a doubt kind of cycle. And you know, the Bible and God speaking to us is meant to be helpful. But for me, going to the Bible was not helpful. It kind of made it worse. But the problem was, if you... If you don't go to the Bible, if you don't go to Jesus, if you don't push in that direction, by definition, you'll end up alone and lonely. Some of you have been hurt by community. You've been hurt relationally. You've just gone, I'm never going back and I'm not doing that again. And that's weird, right? Because that's actually meant to be a main vehicle through which God is going to help you. And you just go, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. And so either <laughs> you get cut off from the help or you push in there even though it hurts. And if that's a difficult decision. I'm not saying that's an easy one at all. Let me give the psalmist a, uh, a bit of a rap here. He actually does something, doesn't he? He's actually active in what's going on. He doesn't become a slave to his feelings. Who knows that if you want to destroy your life, follow all of your feelings and your thoughts. True? So it's like, I don't even need the devil at that point. Like he can go along service leave. He's been working for a while. He can have a rest. Just follow all your feelings and your thoughts and you'll trash your life uh, just nicely. Thanks. It's probably the case that we're in the grip of our feelings more than what we think. And a lot of us probably at some level believe that the only way to change our behavior is to change our feelings. And then you kind of go, well, you can't change your feelings. Can I tell you something really disturbing? about the Bible and what God commands, he commands you to feel correctly. Like in the Old Testament, some of his judgment came down upon Israel because they didn't serve him happily. They served him, but they weren't happy. So smile. <laughs> Do you get my point? It's like, you're serving an amazing God. Like, what, why are you grumbling about it? I'd be happy about it. So God's interested in your feelings. Now, here's the thing. I think... That by changing your behaviour, you can change your feelings. Some people say this, they say, I don't like that man, so I won't talk to him until my feelings change. While other people change their feelings by talking to them. Some people say, I don't feel like worshipping, so I'm not going to go to church. I'll wait until I feel like going. Other people say, I'll go when I don't feel like it until my feelings fall into line. Humphrey uh, Bogart uh, once defined a professional as someone who did a better job when he didn't feel like it. Someone who did a better job when he didn't feel like it. 
See, feelings don't run the show for us. There's a deeper reality than that and we can actually behave our way into feeling. You can act yourself into a new way of being. All right, let's go to the next bit. Verse 5. The same refrain happens in verse 5 and verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. No one is more influential in your life than you because no one talks to you as much as you do. Okay? Anyone a Radio National nut here? Yeah, so you wouldn't admit to it, would you, in church? Anyway, this is uh, something that was uh, on Radio National about the voices people hear inside their heads. There's usually another person that I'm talking to. On occasion, it's been Stephen Fry. It's okay. It's not that bad. There's nothing to worry about. Don't be ashamed. In my case, I'm fluent in two languages. When my inner voice comes to me in my native language, I'm taken back to when I was a small boy. I've always said I have multiples of me in my head. I'm hopeless. I'm so tired. When I feel silly, do something silly, or have doubt about my abilities, a voice in my head clearly says the words. I love you. So just let me give you 30 seconds of theory and I'm going to do violence to this therapy. But there's a kind of therapy called cognitive behavioural therapy, right? And cognitive behavioural therapy basically says that you can change your feelings and your behaviour by changing your thoughts or changing what you believe, okay? And I want to say to you today that that's, that's not what the psalmist is doing, okay? You probably, who's heard of the, the phrase self-talk? Have you heard of that? So, and that's kind of the conversation that goes on in your head, but I want to say to you this morning that God did not make you to be a closed loop, all right? You're not meant to have bad thoughts in your head and then think about true thoughts and then save yourself that way. And that's not what he's doing here. See, what he's actually doing here is he's, talking to himself but he's talking to himself in a way that breaks the closed loop of what was going on inside of him and he tells himself to hope in God do you see that it's like he was in some kind of vicious cycle there with his own despair inside of him and he starts preaching to himself and saying you need to hope in God he is your God he is your salvation I mean if his if his name was Peter he's saying Peter hope in God Put your trust in God. Peter, stop this circle and, and hope in God. Let's do that. He's your salvation. He is your God. You see, the way that he's handling this speaks to the way that you've been made. You see, you've been made relational. At the core of what you are is relational. You're not meant to fix yourself by sitting in a corner and fixing your thoughts up. And all the way through the scriptures, God says, speak to me. Talk to me and let me talk to you. Yeah, you can share all the messy, raw stuff, but you need to talk to me. 
don't be a closed loop. Whenever humans become a closed loop, it gets messy. Who knows that's true? It gets really messy. He gets stuck into himself to move relationally toward God. Now, here's the thing. How many times does he do this in this psalm? Anyone know? Twice, right? Two times. Here's the thing. If you're struggling under pain, trouble, some kind of spiritual depression, depression, whatever, how many times are you going to have to do it? I don't know. Maybe countless. I don't know. Is, is this like a silver bullet? It's like, yeah, I'll just, I'll just read that bit out of Psalm 42 and I'll be sweet. No, it's not. It's something, it's, it's a battle, it's a fight that's going to need to happen. I remember uh, really struggling with a whole bunch of things in my 20s and I actually found myself when no one was around, I'd walk around the house and I'd just out of my mouth, I'd literally verbally, I'd just be going, no, we're not doing that, we're going here. And it was like preaching myself, no. And sometimes it'd be with that tone in my voice, no. We're not doing that. You know, kind of hoping God. This is where God's pushing us. This is where God wants us to go. This is where he's leading us. This refrain of his is about the collision between faith and doubt and the present and the future. I want to read you this, uh, this quote. This is like the best quote in all of history, I think, outside of the scriptures, about preaching to yourself. It's by a guy called Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And uh, in, in a book of his called Spiritual Depression. Listen to this. The main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression is, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. True? Probably. Am I just trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realised, listen to this, have you realised that most of your unhappiness in this life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He asked. His soul had been repressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and he says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Now hopefully you just, inside of you, you just go a little bit of righteous indignation there. It's like, yeah, right. I'm not going to do what I'm told anymore by you, self. I'm going to tell you what's going to be happening. Let me tell you what the deal is. Do you know what I mean? If you do not, you have but little experience. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? Listen to this. You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself and say to yourself, hope in God instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. Then, having done that, and on this great note, defy yourself and defy other people. See, we're leading a rebellion here. Is anyone with me on that? It's just like defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. 
you have to preach the gospel to yourself. You see, if you go to an alternative translation of Psalm 42 verse 5, it talks about, uh, it says this, it says, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. That's what he wants. It's just like, no, I'm just, I need to get in his presence. It's got a real kind of relational flavor to it. It's like, he will save me. He's my God. I just need to see his face. It's about reminding ourselves of the person, the purposes and the truths about God that we can't see. Grab your Bibles. I'm just going to read one more section. Commentators, uh, we're just in Psalms, so if you go to Psalm 43, just going to finish up here. Commentators kind of say that verse, uh, Psalm 42 and 43 should go together, and I, I think you'll see why. Um, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Notice this, he starts to get a spring in his step, right? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I'll go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I'll praise you with a liar, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. See, the rescue for him wasn't even just preaching to himself. It was actually getting to God. He was preaching to himself to hope in God, to move toward God. And that's what's actually happening here. And you, I don't know whether you noticed, but there's even just a, a bit of a change in the tenor of Psalm 43 compared to 42. You know, 42, is, it's a little bit more of a mixture. Psalm 43 is like, I'm pressing in. I'm actually praying. I'm speaking directly to you. And we're not ducking in and out of lament as much. It's like, I'm just talking to you directly and then it looks like he starts to get a bit of a roll on with the praise at the end there who's um there's a maths gun anyone here good at maths see the same thing in the first service that's incredible so i'm not going to ask you to take up the offering and count it or something but um he would be yeah might get kicked out now principal's a mathematician um Okay, does anyone, let, let, I'll, I'll just test you out. Does anyone know what congruent means? Oh, serious, come on. Congruent, yeah, 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 good. Can someone give me a, uh, give me a, a geometrical definition of what, that's good. Is that true? <laughs> Okay, let me tell you what I think congruent means. Congruent is when you've got two shapes that are not the same size, but they're the same shape. Is that, how am I going? Is that, is that okay? There's a yo and amen from down the bottom here. Here's, uh, here's the bottom line, right? Um, con congruence is when something's in agreement, in harmony or compatible, okay? So I just want you to think about it. Just think about the human heart and the human struggle since the, the dawn of humanity, all right? Go right back to the Garden of Eden and what you've actually got before the fall is you've got no dislocation or incongruence. You've got unbroken fellowship with God. You've got God walking the garden in the cool of the day. You don't have fragmentation back then, okay? Sin comes in. Sin actually brings about fragmentation and it brings about fragmentation 
in lots of different ways. So it brings about fragmentation in society, in people within their own person. It brings about fragmentation and it just starts... And what you've got is you've got incongruence. And since the fall, what humanity's been in is it been in this fight for unity and this fight to, have, to be congruent. It's like, wouldn't it be good... I'm sure someone else here has thought this. I've thought this. Wouldn't it be good if your feelings were a good measure consistently of what reality was? Would that be good? Like, that would be good. See, that's, that's part of the fragmentation that's happened as a, as a result of sin, all right? So you just think about it. From Genesis 3, pretty much till now, humanity's been in this battle with things that don't match. It's like God's here but I don't think he's here and we're just kind of out of sync, all right? And then we can be out of sync in other ways. We're just out of sync in a whole bunch of different ways and yet you hear the cry of the psalmist in Psalm 86 verse 11 where he says, God, give me an undivided heart. At some level he's kind of saying, give me a, a congruent heart that's in line with the truth, it's in line with who you are. It's in line in a sense with itself. And then this, this beautiful prophecy in the Old Testament there from Ezekiel, you probably know this one, where the prophet writes uh, on behalf of God, uh, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. You hear that? He's going to bring back congruence. <laughs> He's going to deal with the fragmentation that actually goes on in people's hearts. And what actually happens on the cross is this really significant moment where Christ inaugurates a new covenant, a new deal, where he gives you a new heart, the new heart that Ezekiel 11 was talking about. And so now you've actually got a new power to, to, to be united in your heart. There's something unique there and the Holy Spirit is in you if you love him and he's working in you and for you. That's the promise of the new covenant. But there's a sense even in the new covenant like it's not complete yet. Come across with me to Revelation 21. It's like the second last page in the Bible, so uh, pretty quick to find. Just going to finish here. And we'll sing. Do you ever get weary? Like, do you ever get tired of fragmentation? Like, do you ever, do you ever just like, it would be good to have a, just a, a consistent 10 minutes <laughs> or a 10 hours or 10 years. Like, do you ever just go, why, why, do, why, why does God have to be separate? What, why do I, I mean, I don't know when I'm going to die, but I assume that sometime between now and when I die, there'll be a time where I'll be in Psalm 42 land. That's where I... I don't get your presence. I can't lay hold of you at this point in time. So it's part of me just going, like, do we have to keep doing that? Do you ever think that? You just go, do we have to keep doing this? Do we, do we have to have this fragmentation and this incongruence going on between reality and what's going on for me? Do we have to do this grief thing? Do we have to do this trouble thing anymore? Well, you know there's going to be a day where the answer will be, no, we don't need to do that anymore, thanks. And that day will go on forever. Listen to this in uh, Revelation 21, verse 3 and 4. 
They heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Hear that? I mean, I just think back the first, first thing I thought this morning when I was reading that is I'm just going, man, God dwelling with Adam and Eve just after they'd sinned was not cool. <laughs> so they put these really uncomfortable leaves on and just hide, right? And in a bush that God made. It's like he won't see us here, like idiots, right? I say that in an affectionate way. Okay, it's, but here it's like God's going to be with them and it'll be so good and he will dwell with them and they'll be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's where we're going. And that's a sure and certain hope. That puts wind in your sails.